Hello, everybody. How's it going? Oh, yeah. Um, welcome to all curious minds, blown and unblown. Uh, I've got a very special guest here today, one of the most curious minds that I know. Please welcome Brian Cross, a.k.a. B+. <laughs> so, um, this is called Make Me an Island, an archipelago of sand. And uh, today, B's been a guest several times. Today, we're going to talk about... Colombian music, we're going to stop over there. Um, let's get started by hearing a tune from the Bag of Records. So, what's first, B? Uh, indigenous community in the northwest of Colombia. Uh, made by a French guy. Okay. Um, that I found, I don't know, like a while ago. But I, I just, yeah, I, I like the idea of field recordings and I like the idea of music that sort of pre-exists recording somehow and uh, cumbia really is is that and that's that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today so anyways here we go now different than the venue we were playing in last night. Yeah, it can be. Um, with a bunch of people sitting around singing songs and I'm, I'm figuring out this rhythm which then becomes in much the same way as ska and then reggae becomes the way to describe Jamaica or samba becomes the way to, to sort of describe Brazil. Cumbia becomes the, the rhythm to kind of circumscribe the nation, basically. It fulfills that kind of, in the same way as Oriada does here, or, you know, there's a, there's a kind of, a way that music go, goes from a kind of folkloric form into something which is defined as uniquely Colombian or whatever. Mm. And that's what cumbia is, basically, so. The, the striking thing there immediately is just how kind of conversational the, the the percussion is that, that it's like a, a kind of a, a language where there's you know there's a whole lot of talking going on yeah 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 no it's i mean it's kind of a slow skank do you know what i mean like there are other forms that come later but 
it's like a skank. And um, so if I can tell a quick story, the story is, is that, you know, the origin story of Cumbia is that uh, a, a German ship wrecked off the coast of Colombia and a bunch of accordions <laughs> washed up. <laughs> Unwet, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> dry. You're completely dry, ready to play. <laughs> Instruction manual in Spanish now. Um, <laughs> but um, I think more close to the truth. And then, and then there's this other story, which, which is about um, the indigenous people playing uh, flutes, uh, generally which aren't tuned, which would have no reason to be tuned to a Western scale, um, meeting up with escaped enslaved people who have drums and those two things coming together uh, and they say and, and and the rumor is you know or the or the, the the kind of popular parlance about the music is the way that it works is this kind of steady skank because the Africans were only able to uh, dance in a steady skank because they were their feet were chained together and this is the this is the kind of in sort of popular culture, this would be the, the this kind of origin story of cumbia or whatever. Well, uh, you know, it, 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 in, in many respects, it, it bears out in terms of the music. Yes, people do dance that way to it, A. Uh, B, um, you know, the, the way that accordions are tuned in Colombia is very specific, very weird. Um, there's a sort of... This is going to be a lot of asides, so bear with me. But there's, <laughs> there's a story. Curious that, uh, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Curiously wandering. But um, the, the story goes that in the 70s, Alfredo Gutierrez, who was a great accordion player, a very, very fast accordion player, uh, made a tape and sent it to Honer. They would, for some reason, the Colombians only play Honer uh, accordions. And they made a tape, and they sent it to Germany to the factory in the hope that Honer would, you know, break them off a few free accordions. You know, kind of an expensive thing to be paying for when you're that good. And uh, apparently, it took a year for the to get a response from Honer, and Honer said, "We don't believe you made this sound with our accordions," <laughs> because basically, if you've if you've ever had the chance to open up an accordion. Open the box. <laughs> yes, there you go. Okay, it, you know, it's a, things that remind me of it remind me a little bit of of typewriter technology. Do you know what I mean? In the sense of like buttons that do things. It's like right. It's like, but it's a musical instrument. But obviously, incredibly fine, tiny pieces of reed and card and you know felt. But the Colombians specialized in detuning them. And it was really to match what was happening in the indigenous music with flutes that weren't tuned. And so they were trying to play uh, 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 melodies that came from you know, songs that had long previously existed. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's something really special. So if I can just give you some notion of how this arc works for me, let's hear the CDJ really quick. Uh, so, as some of you may or may not know, I'm a photographer and I'm mostly a photograph uh, hip hop, or at least that's what I'm known for. I've done a lot of other shit as well. But. And there's this famous producer called Jay Dilla. And um, Dilla's dead now, but D Dilla was a very good friend. And I was at the club one night uh, with 
there was a group of us hanging out together drinking and Madlib happened to be in our company. And this is long before I started to go to Colombia. And this song came on. Uh, boom. This one. club that night and Madlib came to me and he was like yo it, it was one of those things where it was like this nobody had heard a beat that sounded like this and we were just like holy shit Dilla is fucking wow man and Madlib came to me and he was like yo this shit this is that slave shit dude and I was like what he was like no this is that slave shit where your feet are chained together and you can't you can only dance with your feet real close okay so that guy was like Okay, thanks, Otis. That was random. <laughs> and then, fast forward a couple of years later, I'll go to Colombia and watch me fuck this up again. Huh? I guess I don't get my DJ degree. Push. <laughs> shall we say, between the two musics. And the truth is, is that this skank that Otis is describing um, applies to the original song, which isn't a sample, I mean, but, and it's not an interpolation. We know for sure Dilla wasn't digging in Colombia. Um, but it begs this weird question, which is how did Madlib 
figure out <laughs> the origin story of cumbia when Madlib doesn't listen to Colombian music. And I don't think he was even really thinking in terms of Colombian music when he described it that night. And so it sort of sent me on this uh, weird, you know, Colombia is very interesting. The first cover of Fela Kuti's music in the Americas was made in Colombia, right? Like that's like, how is that possible? Nigeria is an English speaking country. Fela was touring in America. Nobody did a cover of his music, but they did in Colombia. The first time Malatu Astake, long, long, long before the Ethiopic series in the mid 90s, in the mid 70s in Colombia, they were putting Malatu Astake on compilations of music for carnival. And so I often say that Colombia, particularly the north uh, eastern uh, part of Colombia, is it's the, the undiscovered part of the Caribbean and it's the undiscovered part of the kind of Caribbean yeah. matrix. And it is, it is, that's the Caribbean effect up there, right? It is, the, yeah. yeah, it is. And so as a result, um, but even, even more so, I think, than, you know, Cuba, uh, you know, southern Florida, Jamaica, Haiti, even if you want to extend it up into New Orleans, for me, Barranquilla is uh, it's like the missing link. And, um, and so it sort of put me on this spiral then to try to, to, try to really understand, like, how, how does that work? Like, how... how like, what can you figure out by really looking at records and really digging for records and really try to listen to what people are talking about? And, but, like, for example, the f the, as far as evidence that I'm aware of, you know, the, the kind of DJing that we, we, we like to talk, think about, which they call it 360, okay? <laughs> and they've been doing 360 there since, like... So you're as liable to hear uh, Bill Haley next to, like, a Rimshots record next to like a African record, next to, uh, you know, and, and that's the way they play Carnival. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's something really special there. I, I always say that it's like, uh, the rest of us are on like bad long distance phone lines and the Colombians have Zoom, you know, but like <laughs> yeah. long before Zoom existed. And it's to do with ship, it's to do with shipping. Right, so similar to Jamaica, that, that, that's yes. the key part of the trade, yes. right? Yes, and for whatever reason, going into South, South America, um, Bogota, I'm uh, sorry, Barranquilla is, is a really, really important port after World War II, and this is the beginning of sort of how recorded music begins to kind of bounce around that part of it. And it's the beginning of, they call pic, pico, picos, which is sound systems, S, yeah. sound system, pit, like pickup, but okay. like said by somebody who speaks Spanish. Um, picos. Picos, yeah. Um, because, and, and what we're talking about there is those things, same as the, the tenement yards and sound systems in Jamaica, is uh, the essence of what DJing is, you know, whatever it is now, but it was, it began there. Um, when you mentioned about the uh, field recordings, or, or when we heard that, um, 
a, a couple of things. First of all, um, in, in, in all of these areas, the music that's repressed in some way seems to, to thrive and burn a little brighter. Um, would you say, in terms of, you know, like, there's a kind of, like, once there's a kind of a, a rising, the people are kind of like, you know, we've got many examples in, in different places, but, like, once you try to put something down, yeah. find another way. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the water yeah. always finds its way. It finds its way, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, but then also that, you know, that field recording being a good example is that essentially the sound is the sound of a gathering of people. There's yeah. a, a kind of a, a participatory feeling. Yeah, fully. And uh, so talk to us about, is, is Carnival in, in Colombia, is it on a par with, like, in other parts or Brazil, it's for the instance? Biggest, it's the biggest one outside of Brazil. Yeah. Um, Tell us about it. It's amazing. <laughs> I've been, I was there twice. Um, it's it's the the kind of highlight of it is this uh insane uh stage with all these uh musicians uh, uh that's circular and people go in procession procession around the stage and do this dance where uh people have hold candles and 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 women dance with uh pieces of paper attached to the back of their dresses and there's this kind of dance where it's you pretending to light their dress on fire, but you don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad. Um, but it's yeah, it's kind of extraordinary. And it's it it there are things there are kinds of music that are only played in that week. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. rhythms that only emerge in that week. Yeah. And then it's it has all the same uh, kind of social inversions or whatever that you find in. In, uh, in 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 carnival in in Brazil, you know where the the village idiot becomes the president, and the oh, actually that right. happens in America already. Yeah, that, I right. <laughs> <laughs> Heard that joke uh, before. <laughs> <laughs> if what? only it wasn't true. Um, <laughs> sure. uh, but well. yeah, but like so, you you know you have this you know the most uptight people suddenly become. I mean, it functions in much the same way as a music festival functions for us, right? It's like, what happens at all together now? Toberty DJs at Backstory. <laughs> Tonight. Um, <laughs> private joke, okay? The conversation earlier was um, better. Um, so, look, in terms of that participatory thing, um, like, that the ritual factor and the idea of there being, you know, like in other examples that, that I've sort of been looking at lately, Guadalupe being one where there's yep. a kind of a... You know, and I think we're living in a country where we have a music that comes from the people. There's a folk music, yeah, yeah. and we know all about it. So it's like, uh, do you feel that that kind of like resonates when you know coming from where you're from? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if everybody else had the same experience as me, but um, I, 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 the kind of official version or whatever of Irish music culture when I was growing up wasn't of much interest. Uh, honestly, you know, like it, it felt very conservative, and um, and I think you know, for us uh, in that moment, it was you know, it was punk rock, and then the beginnings of hip hop and everything, and we were looking outside, and then I often make the joke that I had to go like all the way to the northeast of Brazil and hear them playing accordions to finally be able to appreciate concertina players from West Clare, you know what I mean? And it's sometimes that's kind of the way it works, right? Like it's like. Sometimes what's there in front of you, you know, there's, I mean, there's nothing more uh, sort of uh, 
nice than, you know, I remember the first time we went to Sao Paulo, um, you know, we told all these Brazilians, like, yo, we really want to go to samba school, you know. Um, we really feel like, if, uh, you know, as people interested in music, we, we don't just want to go buy records. We want to actually see, you know, the samba schools still are going on and, and to come to find that most of the people that we were, that were hosting us who were musicians had never gone to a samba school. And so then to go there with them and realize, I don't know, in this sort of weird way that the music of the Northeast of Brazil gives you permission to like music from West Clare. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the gringos from Los Angeles visiting gives the Brazilians the opportunity to go to a samba school and have their minds blown. All of us have our minds blown, you know. Um, and there's something really, there's something really special about this, really important. And the kind of dissident, uh, the dissident aspects of the music when you really get into it um, are often hidden to us at first. And deliberately so, I think, you know, um, we don't really realize like how strong and how important and how, how, how integral really, you know, as a, as a kind of repository, I was talking to Johnny there this morning, like music itself as a kind of archive of memory and story and history, you know, um, is really, really important. And we, we, you know, the tendency is that the playlist mentality by now, you know, is like, you know, I mean, it's kind of the fast food equivalent in many respects. And not that I, look, I discovered things on there too, I really do, but um, but I think it is it is important to let yourself, give yourself a little bit of time every once in a while to just go openly down a rabbit hole and figure out a few bits. Uh, on the point of going down those ho rabbit holes, the, the actual on the ground digging, so um, as if you were um, ever, um, B is one of them, my favorite DJs, one of the greatest diggers and most committed diggers I've ever met. And uh, so time in Colombia, um, digging for records and fire uh, in Colombia. Um, tell us a bit about that. What's it like there? So, like I said, like it's um, Barranquilla is really one of the uh, proper hubs, really, of uh, of recorded music. Like I, I, it just never fails to amaze me the kind of records that ended up there, whether it's rock records, funk records, but like really obscure and difficult records you'll find it there it might be trashed because it's been played to death but it's there at the 360s yeah and um and so to go there for the first time and then to be lucky enough to uh you know we we, we went there at a time when it, you know the, the main people who had been digging colombian music at that time were mexican for whatever reason cumbia cumbia's next stop on its road to global dominance, I guess, uh, was Mexico. And so Mexicans, since really since the late 60s, have been going to Colombia in much the same way as, you know, English DJs were going to North America, in much the same way as Brazilians were going or Jamaicans were going to the southern United States. Um, Mexicans were going to Colombia. So they hadn't seen, well, it was me and Quantic, basically, me and Quantic and, and Miles Claret from Soundway. And I was there as the photographer. And I should say, and this is very flattering of you to say how great a non-DJ DJ I am or how great a digger I am, but I'm really only on the coattails of the, the cats that are like, you know, really fucking ridiculously good at it. And so you talk um, about Will there, right? And the, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, funnily enough, uh, in, in Colombia, I actually felt like I held my own because 
I'd, many years before, I had to kind of come up on a bunch of records in, uh, in Miami in a sale at a record store, and I bought them just because I thought the titles were so cool. You know, Afro Sound. I was like, this has to be good. And, um, and they were good, and they were all Colombian. And that was kind of, yeah, that was part of the beginning of sort of figuring it out. But I was able to bring some of my own kind of, you know, yeah. finding things. Because in the States, you know, you will find, occasionally you will find Colombian records, occasionally you'll find Brazilian records. So I had a little bit of knowledge. And, and, and relative to Jamaican industry, what was, how productive was the Col what Colombian industry? Incredibly. Really? Incredibly, yeah. Incredibly. So the market was big? And, and the market was huge, um, primarily based out of Cartagena. Oh, yeah. And Medellin. Um, and really centered around two brothers, the Fuentes brothers. They really, and then a bunch of other labels, like they made it successful, and then a bunch of other offshoot labels uh, grew up around them, like Tropical, Victoria, all that. But the Fuentes really um, are the guys. And in fact, Curo Fuentes, who was the kind of, there's two brothers, uh, Arturo, who was the business guy, and Curo, who was the sort of visionary guy. He was the guy that flew to Germany and bought the Telefunken mics and brought them back to Colombia. And then Te Olvide, the song that I played that's very similar to Jungle Love by Dilla, he was the one that found that song and recorded it the first time. And we, we had a chance to meet him and photograph him and interview him about recording the song, which was really kind of remarkable. People were like, he waited for you guys because he died like a few months later. And uh, yeah, it was wonderful. It was like... Yeah, the notion that, like, I mean, I think all them Detroit cats would get it. You know I mean? The, the, the idea of going off and getting the best possible mic and the best possible preamp and a decent tape machine and going to, you know, the guy in, you know, Barranquilla or Cartagena and sitting down and recording his songs yeah. and hearing that song for the first time and being like, <gasps> and it's been covered, like, and, and, and it's those moves that make it, that's what sends you digging all the time. Yeah. Because it's to find that, yeah. that's the gold, right? That's the, that's the trick, is to um, find those moments. How, how um, related was the industry to the picus, to the parties? You know the way in Jamaica, it, yeah. like one, of, one of the things that I love about Jamaica is like this ideal situation where the dances create the need for the dance music and the people who dance selling liquor <laughs> well the liquor sure but they they make the tunes you know it's a it's a kind of a circular thing where you kind of uh, yeah for sure and um and and then it feeds the need to kind of make better records that make you dance more etc etc the part of it that really shocked me about jamaica i worked on this film about jamaican music during the covid and the part that really shocked me is i saw this interview with cox and dodd and he talked about like a lot of the early songs which we would consider hits they would only press one copy. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were, you know, we have this notion that like, well, they're running a liquor store and they have a dance in front and they're playing yeah, records. It was the and one for the dance. No one had record players. Yeah. So they would make one copy. They would, if you wanted to hear that song, you had to go to that dance by his beer. He'd play the song and then you could wait until next week until you could yeah. hear it again. And I, I, you know, you have this, no, you know, you have this kind of idea like, you talk about things like the Jamaican music industry, but yeah. basically what you're talking about is the Jamaican one record at a time industry <laughs> until, you know, yeah. eventually by the end of yeah. the 60s, then, and, and then it's this sort of split thing where it goes to, to Britain. But, um, but how beautiful is that, that the idea that you would, you know, that, that, that this thing, there's one of them, 
and, and all of you people will come to my place because I've got this. Yeah. And, and all of the other people will come and try to find out what this is because yeah. I have it. Yeah. And then they go try and make their own one. Hence the reason we're talking about it 40 yeah. years later. But if you look at those, uh, I don't know if you guys know the, the Malian photographer Malik Sidibe, and he has all those great photographs from sort of parties, record parties from Bam, uh, Bamako from the, the 60s. And it's the same thing, you know. That guy is the guy who has the James Brown record. He brings when he you see him, you know you're going to hear the James Brown song because he's here and he brought the record and they're going to play it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, which in in itself is kind of a microcosm of of kind of maybe the the magic of of music that we've lost that or the, well we have surrendered because the journey of of the the wait where you find something. Noel, my friend who from Kinshasa who was there dancing to these tunes last night, he told me that we were talking about. Uh, I told him I was trying to impress him that oh yeah I used to cycle to Killarney to look at the tapes and then come back and look at them again and then look at them again and then I get one at the fourth time after like about 95 miles of cycling, you know. But he said, oh yeah, that's nothing because I would walk 40 miles <laughs> to listen to the tape once yeah. and then I would walk home. It's like, oh, that's better. Spotify it ain't, guys, you know. Um, so, but... Have, I you, see, have you seen uh, Blues Britannica? Have you seen that documentary? Mm. It's made by Mike Connolly. I don't know if any of you guys know. Mike Connolly's a documentarian, works for the BBC, great Irish guy. And uh, he made this documentary about the influence of American blues into, the, in, into England in the late 50s, early 60s. And there's this inter is an interview with Keith Richards. And Keith Richards is like, yeah, it's like four buses to get to this guy's house that oh, he has yeah. the address of. And he knock on the guy's door and he ask him. And the guy say, yes. He's like, do you have a copy of the... <laughs> Blues record X, I do. Would you like to come in? I come in and sit down and put the record on, they look at each other and nod approvingly and put it on again and nod approvingly, have a cup of tea, and then he four buses to get home. And that was, you know. Refresh page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I mean, so, so what's it like now? I mean, what, what was the last time you were there? I haven't been there in a while. Uh, I was supposed to go just before, just before. Um, didn't get to go, so it's like three years or four years since I've been there. Never and I mean, it's it's it. You know, they have discogs. You know, it's yeah, it's it's there too. Mm. Um, it's very different. Uh, you know, there are less records, as there are less records in Ethiopia or less records in Brazil or less records in everywhere. Um, but you know, the the, the net good of it is is that there is a whole new body of interest in Colombian folkloric music for Colombians. Yeah. So Musica Pacifico, for example, which was mostly went unrecorded, but which is the amazing African music of the West Coast of Colombia is now kind of like the hip thing. And, and going back to 20s or 30s, or, or like how old were those recordings, or is there? They're, it was never recorded. Oh, I mean, that music was never recorded, oh. really. Yeah, was very little of it was recorded. Um, but by now, through this festival called uh, uh, Petronio Alvarez, the, this big festival uh, happens, actually happening this weekend, I think, in Cali, Colombia, where all the people come in from the coast um, and play their music. And it's a bunch of different sort of subcategories, Curulao, Chiremia, um, forget some of the other uh, genres. But it's, and that's kind of, you know, there's a big resurgence. I mean, I think that's the... 
the beauty of this is it offers us a, it offers people or it offers us as a culture a way a new lens from which to view our own culture in a way that's you know it's like holy shit I never would have thought but here we are you know so yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was I was kind of also wondering about like um, you know we'll say contemporary Colombia is it a case of um, any I've never been but any Colombians um, that I've met have been willing to dance pretty at the drop of a hat you know it's like is it's in the blood it's pretty full-on I mean I can't front it is very full-on yeah and the dance is very different it's very regional yeah you know in uh, in Barranquilla people dance very closely all right in Cali it's what they call it like gymnastics oh in Cali they just do gymnastics but it's much more you know yeah kind of contemporary salsa or whatever but yeah I mean it's they've definitely they're up for the get down so to speak yeah um, very much like Brazilians you know yeah a similar vibe um the so the march of Cumbia, you mentioned it there earlier on. So, so like this, the spread obviously yeah. is pretty phenomenal. Um, and I it had its kind of moment of being kind of codified by the state. Um, In what way? There's a famous conductor called Lucha, Lucha Bermudez, and what he did was take the kind of this folkloric form and then transpose it for big bands. So what would have been big band music of the sort of late 50s. Oh, yeah. um, you're thinking, you know, cha-cha-cha, tango, early rumba and salsa would also do, in, in Colombia, would also do cumbias. Um, or, you know, other subgenres of cumbia or whatever. And, uh, and it went through that moment where it was like, yeah, it was like part of the naming of the state somehow. Because, I mean, that's, you know, a, a thing that we don't, think about too much here because of our scale or maybe we should think about more um, which is this notion of the kind of codifying of the state I think is kind of something <laughs> could be argued as unfinished <laughs> um, is a very important part of the modernization process for countries like Brazil or Colombia and music has this interesting part to play where it's like look our folkloric melodies actually work in this new modern big band Glenn Miller, Duke Ellington, uh, you know, whatever the Puerto Rican or Cuban band of, of the time would have been, Orchestra Aragon or whatever. In that format, we're able to be Colombian also. So Colombian doesn't necessarily have to mean something, you know, backward looking. It can be something progressive and modern and it affirms the state. And this is important. And Samba does this also. Samba goes through this kind of weird moment. Isn't it fucking glorious to be here in this heat? No, <laughs> Colombian. Um, the yeah, keep going. Sorry. Um, Jesus, I, uh, oh, maybe play a record. Well, we said we we're going to play loads uh, of records. Whisht. Whisht. Yeah, so we're missing a center. If anybody has a center, forty-five center in their pockets. <laughs> the big holes. <laughs> so all the good records have big holes. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, we, could, we could. We could. We could. We could just so hold that for a second. So, just this is one of my favorites. Oh, that's the picture. Um, let's see how decent of a job this is. Um, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, um, Fela really struck a chord in Colombia, and there's a song by Fela from I think it's from 1975 called Shakara. And somebody brought it 
to carnival that year in Barranquilla. And of course, the Colombians, God love them, had no concept of what Chacara was or really could understand what Fela was saying, but it didn't stop them from loving the music. And um, this is a group called Cumbia Moderna de Soledad. Um, the lead guy is a guy called Pedro Beltran. I had the pleasure of meeting him. He, he recorded on the, uh, on the Tropica record. He was 87, he's still alive. Um, and he made, a, he made a cover of, of, uh, of the Fela song. Centers. Beats, beats. So they did a version of Fela. That's pretty fucking amazing. Awesome. Okay. They also did a cover of Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart. <laughs> oh, we can edit this bit out. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, the funniest, the, the twist at the end of that joke is that that song itself is actually an interpolation of a Brazilian song by George Ben called Taj Mahal. So it just shows you how these things kind of ricochet. I don't know. For me, Fela says... You know, mu our music is a, a rehearsal of the future, right? It's like, the, a what? Yeah, we're rehearsing the future when we play music, man. And yeah, so if you want to think about the way social relations work or the way we idealize certain kinds of things, the way things could happen, it happens in music faster. Things happen in music faster. Music is closer to our way of thought than it is our way of being often, even though we're caught in this perpetual pendulum between body and mind right and music right like there's you know what i mean like it was like uh i'm not really feeling this hip-hop man they're not saying shit you know it's all body music it's okay you can make body music body in the post-punk era they would say the music needs to be more utilitarian you know you just need to fill it in your body well it's like there's no absolute you can't reduce there's no absolute body music at least that i'm aware of right and there's no it's like there's nothing is a this thing is apolitical, right? And there's nothing as he entirely heady music. It's not that interesting, is it really? It's his ideas. We should fucking write a book then. Fucking, I mean, why am I listening? It's an audio book as music. But, um, but I think this is the yeah, this is the the the, the nice part of of what it is. It is somehow it is a rehearsal of a different way of making a map. I mean, a different way of understanding the di diaspora, you know. We have this notion of diaspora. It's like, well, everybody start in Africa, and then they move to the rest of the world, or start in Ireland, and they move to the rest of the world. You don't, you don't think 
actually, there's, it's, it's much more like a conversation, actually. And there's things happening back and forth all the time. You know, if you, if you listen to Malatu Astake, Malatu Astake will tell you Latin musicians, watching Latin musicians in New York was a, what allowed him to bring congas to Ethiopia. You're like, hold on a minute. Ethiopia is in Africa. I thought that's where congas... Yeah, but you didn't think Africa is one fucking thing. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, it's like... So, you know, and we don't... Another example, one I really love to tell... At the end of uh, slavery in Brazil, a lot of uh, Africans that were living in Brazil repatriated to Lagos, and they brought their music with them. And they had the cavaquinho, which is the ukulele by another name, um, with a different tuning, basically. But it's the instrument that, that's used most often in, in samba, and in this case, mashishi, which is the music that comes before samba. And so they, they locate to this one part of Lagos and then this music they bring with them becomes very popular and this tuning that they bring with them on the cavaquinho becomes really popular and it becomes a thing in, in, in Nigeria at that time and then Ghanaians adopt it and they take the tuning of the guitar and they develop this new music which becomes high life and so when you hear high life music and you hear them playing the guitar all the way down here at the bottom of the fret and you hear this super high super high tuning it's fr it's from brazilians being repatriating themselves to nigeria and bringing their portuguese instrument with them uh and influencing popular music in nigeria and we d we just don't have the capacity to you know keep those kinds of stories we, we have these very linear it all started in Africa. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> that's not enough. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's constantly moving around. I mean, the stuff you just said there a few minutes ago, I, I think that explains what I love about music. Um, thank you for explaining. But um, it's something that, like, another example is the music of Cape Verde. And when they brought it to Lisbon and the diaspora, kind of started making music there and kind of got incorporated into the sound of the 80s. Yeah. Kind of, again, proto-house music. It predicts yeah. the future. Yeah, and uh, but like those waves back and forth. I think you, you've referred to it before. Be about like that's outside of of the popular narrative. That's stuff that's not you know that we've not told or written down. It's stuff that just yeah. But that's how it goes, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I mean, it's it's a. Uh, I mean, I, I like to think that like there's a different way of telling history than the way we do. And we need to look outside historical models to be able to do it. And for me personally, music is the, is the place where, you know, that is the archive of our popular stories, our mythologies, our belief systems, our faults. Humor. Our humor, some of us. Uh, <laughs> um, Everything. Everything. And, you know, this notion of, you know, the, the lads with the quills and the weird haircuts uh, writing down the important stories for the king um, maybe isn't, you know, and as we've inherited, may, may not in fact be the best way of doing, telling these kinds of stories. And, and maybe, you know, our bodies lead us to other places and maybe we, that's where we should, that's where we should, you know, yeah. I like that. 
what's this here? Contact? Ah, uh, well, no. This is. You probably the want heat hurts. Hot, this right? is a terrible. Say <laughs> this. This is a good one. Indian. This is very good now. You probably won't like it. <laughs> so, speaking of humor. is a way of, I mean, it's a rhythm, so, you know what I'm saying? You can, you can have fun with this. You can do silly things with this. Will is a great man for the, the silly jokes, but it's, you know, it's in, it's in the music. I mean, it, it's, it's there already. We, you know, this is the, you know, the, in, in the, 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 do you think I'm sexy cover is funny. You know what I'm saying? It's not even, <laughs> it's not even that serious. I would be remiss to say, and just as a funny way to link this all back to who I am and where I come from musically, and how different maybe it seems from how I was raised as a, you know, playing with the traffic, a young fella, a fucking bewildered young fella in Limerick many years ago now. Um, right before he died, uh, Joe Strummer uh, did a series of programs for the BBC. And Joe Strummer, if you, if you did or didn't, Joe Strummer of The Clash, just in case. <laughs> just in case anybody didn't know that, but. Um, was famous for carrying around a boombox and a plastic bag of tapes constantly. And uh, how are we doing? We all right on time? And uh, might take a second. No, no, no. <laughs> all the time. Take 14 minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But um, Joe Strummer's favorite musician right before he passed that he played a bunch of uh, in on this BBC, I forget what the name of it is now, but you can find it online, uh, show, um, is Andres Landero. And Andres Landero is like, we like to say he's the Bob Marley of Cumbia, basically. And uh, the songs are very much rooted in sort of community struggles and you know, strikes, minors, issues, and this kind of thing, but always at a particular tempo, which is the tempo I was just playing, very slow, like a skank. And uh, I don't know how the fuck Joe figured this shit out, man, but Joe had this shit on cassette in the 90s, long before any of this, any of us uh, youth were out there knowing anything about Colombian music. But for Colombians, it's a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah, for Colombians is a really big deal. But anyway, this is Andres Landero. I should this say that um, I did, last night I DJed with B and with T-Walk, who are, who are like, uh, anyway, um, like the David Clifford and, and uh, Shane Walsh of Backstory. Oh, but Jesus uh, oh, Christ. Okay. 
the Hager okay, don't end. substitute. Yeah. <laughs> big guys but uh so i was i was i was i came on in the last minute for um the last track but um but anyway i overheard part of the conversation they played a few weeks ago and it was the the, the molo the murapi record and uh there's super rare records one after the other one was about to play it and the other one played it and uh and b you asked t walk is it said 85 on it he was like is that what you paid for it and i said yeah. no that's bpm <laughs> <laughs> Deal. <laughs> yeah. Burnt. I was burnt. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, so oh. the other thing about playing with these lads is that, um, yeah, anyway, next day, Discogs, holy shit. Well, I mean, yeah, anyways. <laughs> T-Walk is a monster, no question. Um, anyways, Andres Landero, let me just make sure this record is straight. Get it centered. Center. The old fucking DTs, huh? see that outside the tent, the cumbia, it, it tried to add sun and it's impossible not to dance, right? Uh, so yeah, Ethna, you agree? Yeah, add sun, with added sun. Just one last, I, um, I, we, we might have time for, for a, a couple of um, questions. Um, I suppose in, in terms of um, Colombian music, I mean, it's, uh, 
a thing where it's a bottomless pit, really, and, and it's a thing to be discovered. But um, I, I, I was talking to some Argentinian people recently, and they told me that in Argentina, that cumbia was kind of, I guess, again, we might be opening a can of worms, but that there was periods where it wasn't, like, it was considered to be the black people's music, and it wasn't, like, uh, but that completely changed, right? Not in any one tidal wave moment, but, um, but we'll say just for now, right, across South America, or, and you know, uh, and all the way around, um, it's everywhere, right? It's part of everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Obviously, like Argentina is really the the kind of interface between cumbia and sort of contemporary electronic music, um, and also now in Mexico, um, and even in 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 actually, which is a record I didn't bring, but there's a there's a there's in California. Yeah, run back to the tent and get it. Um, there's a California variant. As well, um, which is really exciting and, and kind Does of it crazy. Have a name? No, not yet. Um, they just—I mean, that's the thing. Everyone calls it cumbia, so yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, you yeah. know what you get. It term. says cumbia. You're like meh, but um, you know, it—it's very much alive. The model is very much alive. People yeah. still respond to it very much with their bodies. I mean, yeah. the nice thing about this music, as somebody who lives in Los Angeles, is yeah. uh, obviously wherever I play, if I play locally. There's generally there's a large Mexican American community yeah. and it's instant love. I, mean, um, like I, I played a few weeks ago at um, Emer. I played a few weeks ago at Saint at, at the Marion Square Festival with the kids, right? And uh, and at five o'clock after Kerry beat Dublin in the All Ireland semi final. Oh, hold on, that happened. It happened. It actually happened. Okay, so I go, I get on my bike, so hang on a second, Emer, this is true, right? So I had a gig before the semi-final and after the semi-final. The gig before the semi-final ended at 10 to 3, and the gig after it began at 5, okay? So it was a bit of extra time because Dublin were actually, like, there was a lot of playmaking going on. So I'm at the Croke Park at 20 past 5, and Sean O'Shea is just about to kick the free, and I'm racing to go out, my bike is outside, and I make it, right? But uh, <laughs> I get to Marion Square, and it's half five, and I jump on the decks. I can't. I think I, my legs are still working. My hands are. But anyway, on the bandstand, there's all these kids and babies. And out in the front is the New Ireland, right? And all of these people from South America and Africa, all the people that we really badly needed, and we didn't know uh, just how much we needed them, were dancing while their kids were on the thing. And it was just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's like, I like Ireland right now. So, so Go, Cumbia. I think on that bombshell, it might be time to um, ask for one quest question from somebody who's better at asking questions. Yeah, there's, yeah, Barranquillas. No, it bo in uh, Cali is called the music, the city of musical memory, and there's a lot of record stores there. But the, but regionally there, you're more likely to find like salsa, descarga, a lot of Puerto Rican and Cuban records. But Barranquilla is full of record stores, and um, actually more than stores, there's a lot of guys at the market that have a little stall that have a bunch of records. Um, but yeah, there was, there was when I was first going there, there was plenty. It, it's a little less now, but there's still a lot of, you know, there's a lot of record business. Just a follow-up question about Jamaica. No. Jamaica is a whole other story, yeah. I mean, if you want to That's find... That's next Jamaica, year, All Curious Minds, yeah. stage two. <laughs> <laughs> if you want the good Jamaican records... 
go to Japan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want the re good records almost from anywhere, actually, I would say go to Japan. Yeah, it's the most likely. I was just in Japan. Back I'm from Japan. Just back from Japan. And uh, I've been sort of telling people that, Jez, I found one of our own there now. Oh, yeah. So I go to Japan. I'm friends with uh, this brother called Faulkner Kelly. He's a sort of legendary figure in Irish music. I don't know if any of you know him, but... And he says to me, oh, you should link with Johnny when you're there. I says, Johnny, which Johnny? Says, Johnny Fingers. Johnny Fingers from the Boonton Rats has been living in Japan for the last 30 years. And he programs the Fuji Rock Festival, which is the Glastonbury equivalent or Coachella equivalent of, uh, for Japanese. It's fucking trip, man. Went to this, uh, have, was there having beers with Johnny Fingers, man. No, like, tell about the karaoke, though. Was there yeah, oh, yeah, so <laughs> the last night, anyway, he came to, it was, uh, we had dinner for the whole crew or whatever, did a bunch of gigs and whatever, and had this exhibition. There was a bunch of fellas working with me, so we all had dinner. And so they wanted to have Korean barbecue, so it was like Japanese Korean barbecue, cool. And I said, do you mind if I invite Johnny? Because he was trying to link before I went back. So I said, so, yeah, invite your friend. So I'm trying to explain to these Japanese lads that are all in their 30s who the Boomtown Rats are and who Johnny Fingers was. Mondays, Which, Mondays, you Tuesday. Know what I mean? <laughs> but it was also, it was a, just culturally start yourself thinking about that. It's like, he's kind of 30 years ahead as far as wearing pajamas, man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> it's like just a little bit ahead of the curve. But uh, in any event, he, uh, we all go out and eat the, eat the food. Johnny has to leave because Fuji Rock's going to be next week. He has work to do, whatever. So he leaves. These Japanese lads are like, there's this 80s bar across the street. Uh, we should go there. So what it is, like a bar where they, you fill out a little piece of paper with the name of the song that you want, and you give it to the bartender, and he finds it and shows the video on this big screen in the middle of the bar. And you just sit there and drink and sing along. Mostly shit, but... They had a bunch of Boomtown Rats fucking songs in the book. So, of course, I filled out them all out. And then it was, yeah, a bunch of Japanese lads going, Johnny! <laughs> One more time, 30 years later. <laughs> so, but in another twist, uh, Kanye sampled one of Johnny Fingers. Kanye sampled the Boomtown Rats, man. And Johnny Fingers wrote the song. And so, yeah, that was a story he was very happy to tell me. I was like, fair enough. True story. True story, yeah. On that bombshell, give it up, please. Brian Cross, B+, plus, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for everybody on the stage. All curious minds, blown and unblown. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.